Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and welcome to episode number 150, the big one, five, zero. We are halfway to 200 episodes. Feels like it was just uh, yesterday that we did episode number 100, but that was, I believe, in the December-ish. I do kind of forget, but... Anyways, welcome to episode number 150, and today we do have a hodgepodge of topics to get to today, which I do believe all of these topics are very, very intriguing, and I want to talk about them. I really do, because they impact us one way or the other, and when I say us, I mean the Celtics. When I say us, I mean the Bruins, and I also want to throw in a sports card discussion in there as well and I know a lot of listeners dabble with sports cards so I kind of want to double down and appease the sports card listeners as well with a very intriguing topic that I really do want to talk about I'm also going to make it a YouTube video as well but you're going to be able to hear it first hear me read this article react to it give you my thoughts and opinions about it here first in episode number 150 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk but I will definitely make a video about it on the channel in its own separate, uh, I don't know, I don't know, next week maybe, the week after that, I'm not exactly sure, but it does not matter. But hopefully you guys had a fantastic week, hopefully you had a happy and safe 4th of July holiday, that was on Monday, hopefully no one uh, was holding any firecrackers when they were going off or anything like that. Again, hopefully you had a happy and safe 4th of July holiday, hopefully you were able to enjoy the day off holiday if you did have the day off from work or whatever you may be doing. But wow, we do, like I said, have a hodgepodge of topics to get into today. And one of them is sports cards. And hold on. Okay, I just had to scroll back to the top. Now, this is an article that came out on June 19th of this last month, really, uh, by Mike Thomas titled, Is Collecting Sports Cards Even a Hobby Anymore? And wow, 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 I love, love this article. Headline. I haven't read a single sentence in it. It could just be clickbait, it could just be eye-catching, and it could be all hocus-pocus. But just from the title alone, just sends uh, ground waves, like, into my bones. Obviously because, you know, I have a card shop, Murph's Cardtown Sports Shop. And have I thought about sports cards, collecting, investing, business, entrepreneurship? Of course I have. I talk to people about it all the time where some people do dabble with sports cards as a side business, as a side revenue, and that is totally fine and dandy. 
But I always circle back and say that you need to enjoy sports cards as a collector first if you want to have any success in the hobby as making it a business. I really do believe that. Because if you're just going out there buying cards and flipping cards, I mean, yeah, you could probably still have some success and make some money that way. But what's the difference between that, just buying a card, flipping it for 10% more, buying a card, flipping it for 10% more, going to all these card shows and stuff, or buying on eBay or wherever you may buy it, card shops even, and not having any fun with it? What's the difference between that and just working a 9-to-5 job Monday to Friday that's absolutely miserable? What's the difference? If you can honestly tell me the difference down in the comment section below if you're listening to this on YouTube or reach out to me via social media at Murph's Card Town. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you can tell me the difference between just buying sports cards and flipping them for profit and not enjoying the hobby itself and not enjoying collecting, what is the difference between that and a 9 to 5 Monday to Friday job that you are absolutely miserable at for 40 years. What's the difference? That's why I tell people that you need to enjoy the sports card hobby as a collector in order to yeah, make some money out of it but have fun. Sport any hobby, not just sports card, it could be action figures, it could be Pokemon cards, it could be comic, doesn't not does not matter the hobby. The reason you got into the hobby is because you enjoyed it to some capacity. You enjoyed it on some intimate, emotional level. And through that enjoyment, you were able to make some money by selling to a friend, or you don't want it anymore, don't need it anymore, so you sold it online. And you're like, oh wow, I was able to make this much money? Can I do it again? Can I do it again? And then it turns into a business. But the core principle and the core foundation comes from your enjoyment, from you collecting. And that's why I strongly believe that you need to have an enjoyment. You need to be a collector in some capacity in the sports card industry in order to have successful business endeavors. So let me read the article. Like I said, I have not read a stitch of it, and it's a decent-sized article, um, but we have time, so let's just get into it. Uh, again, this is by Mike Thomas, titled, Is Collecting Sports Cards Even a Hobby Anymore? That, Like I said, that just hits me deep down. All right. I went to a sports card and memorabilia show a month ago for the first time in years. It's amazing how much has changed. Is collecting sports, card, sports cards a hobby anymore? Can kids even do this now? Good luck to the 16-year-old LeBron James fan who wants to add pieces of memorabilia to his collection. Would he rather have a used car or a James autograph or rookie card? Both can fetch about the same price depending on the year and now the grade of the card. The sports card industry has become a big time business. Gone are those days of kids heading to the local store and ripping open a couple of packs to find their favorite player. Well, hold on. Kids still do that. Kids still do that. Uh, let's Obviously, it's times have changed. But kids still come down to the shop, Merv's Card Town Sports Shop, to rip packs and buy boxes. So hold on, let's let's not lump every kid in there and every store in there. And uh, he also provides a very nice picture of a card show uh, from 1989. Oh wow, it does look very different. Not a phone in sight. 
We're in a high school gymnasium with cases and binders. Wow, that's actually a pretty cool picture. All right, anyways. Uh, the sports card market skyrocketed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Collecting baseball cards has always been a thing. Way back, it was a way to show your fandom for a particular player or a certain team. Open packs of cards, stash them away, trade them with your friends, and put together a little collection. In the 1980s, the Topps company, the biggest name in the business, had some competition. Fleer and Donruss joined in, debuting their baseball card product in 1981. Those companies got greedy during the late 80s, overproducing their cards and creating what is known today as the junk wax era. The overproduction combined with Major League Baseball player strike in 1994 turned collectors off and the hobby had a downturn. The birth of eBay played a role in the resurgence of the hobby as cards were readily available at a touch of a button. Companies got innovative with their products, adding autograph cards and cards with game-worn jersey swatches into the packs. The price of packs increased. There was a gamble feel to the hobby, knowing there's a chance you might pull a signed card of your favorite player. As the hobby leveled off, it got serious resurgence during the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic combined with the untimely death of Kobe Bryant had sports fans itching for something to do. Now, again, I didn't read this before I, I read it to you guys. Now, this is the first time I'm reading it. I don't think that Kobe's passing, his untimely passing, uh, is combined with the pandemic. I, I don't think so because he passed away in January 2020. And this was before COVID really kind of took a swing here in the United States, at least, in like March, late February, early mid-March is kind of when things got, you know, spiraled out of control. And yeah, his passing definitely skyrocketed his, his stuff's value, but not like the degree that it would if, say, you know, he would pass away today, right? You know, let's. I don't want to name anybody because I don't, I don't want to kind of you know get into that what if of passing thing. But just picture someone uh, big in the sports in, in the sports industry. It could be a player or a retired player, and if they pass away, their market's going to absolutely skyrocket. So I think Kobe's passing, you could probably connect some dots, but I'm not going to say his untimely death in January is paired or combined. With the COVID-19 pandemic, I do believe there is some correlation, but I do believe that is majority separated because sports cards really took off in March and April when people couldn't go anywhere. Here in the United States, they couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't leave their house. So what were they doing? They were going up in their attic, in their basement, deep in the closet, finding all these cards, buying, uh, buying and selling on eBay. Again, Kobe passed away in January. There's a small time diff, uh, small time gap between those two occurrences. Again, yeah, of course, Kobe's passing uh, increased drastically increased his market, but anyone could pass away at any given time, and that's going to do the same thing. So I do kind of disagree there, but I do understand his perspective. Uh, quote: People are home. There's no sports being played. They're reminiscing between Kobe Bryant's death and Michael Jordan's documentary. Their nostalgia has been rekindled. End quote. Jeremy Brown, owner of Ultimate Sports Cards and Memorabilia, 
and a regular on Pawn Stars said at the time per the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Now, I do agree that Michael Jordan's documentary, The Last Dance, really significantly helped Michael Jordan's value, and it also helped Scottie Pippen, Tony Kukoc, and B.J. Armstrong, and Steve Kerr even, and just and Dennis Rodman just really skyrocketed those players' values because we were able to get an inside look at the true meaning behind Tony Kukoc and behind Steve Kerr's meaning to these Bulls teams that we saw in the 90s and how much of a big role that they played. And we were able to see the ins and outs of Jordan's life when he was playing basketball. So obviously we have a deeper meaning. And for player, uh, people that grew up watching those players on an intimate level, on a, an emotional level, we're able to see like their favorite players, their favorite team uh, in depth and re-fall in love with it or more understand uh, what was going on to help bring them that enjoyment in the 90s if you're a Bulls fan or a Jordans fan when they were winning those six titles in the 90s. So you were able to really kind of further connect with Jordan, with Pippen, and the Bulls. And that brought a very sentimental value to a lot of sports card collectors. Again, with Kobe's passing. It brought a lot of sentimental value when Kobe unfortunately passed away. And you're looking at a car and you're like, oh, man, I miss this guy. He was so good. I, I remember this and that, you know, whatever it may be. So there are, and you can even say that now moving forward, there are certain events that could happen that would drastically increase someone's value. Again, when a player retires, when Tom Brady retired, his value went through the roof. When... A certain player makes an all-star team or a Pro Bowl team. His value is going to go up. If they win MVP, it's going to go up. There's these things like Magic's documentary um, about the Lakers, you know, in his career is going to increase Magic's value. There's a there's a Kobe documentary coming out, I believe, later this year. That's going to increase his value as well. So it's just all these different positive events in these players' career helps increase the value, increases the the demand of these values. And again, it could be a it could also be a negative component as well. Like uh what unfortunately happened with Henry Ruggs. And you know, he was up and coming wide receiver, looked really good at the beginning of the season. People were starting to really collect and invest in him and invest in the Raiders. And then that happens, that car crash happens, and people were just giving it giving him away because he's worthless now. He's going to jail, he's going to face trial. And no one wants to collect that. So there are positive events that could help increase a player's value, and there's negative events that could increase a player's value. And I think that what really, you know, really kind of sparked the sports card hobby early on was, again, Kobe Bryant's passing, which is not a good thing, but it's a bad thing, but it's not, not going to hurt his value. It only helped his value. Michael Jordan's documentary, that helped his value. Um, obviously, sports cards, uh, sports shutting down didn't hurt the sports cards value, but people were able to kind of invest, invest, invest for when it eventually came back. And of course, it was going to come back and it did come back. So that's kind of my two cents on that little. I know I kind of just rambled on. Is collecting sports card a hobby anymore? Going to my first card slash memorabilia show in roughly 20 years was a complete shock. It was jam-packed, and money was being thrown around all over the place. But is it really a hobby today? At first glance, it was everything I remembered. There were customers with their own cards looking to sell or trade with some of the dealers. Then things got weird. 
Those dealers then seemingly turned into doctors. They immediately put on gloves to handle the cards. They grabbed their magnifying glasses to zoom in on the corners, edges, and surfaces of the cards. Don't forget the centering. Dealers have to Dealers have to because these days cards aren't worth much unless companies like PSA, Beckett, or SGC, <clears throat> even TGA, say they are. Many cards are sent to these companies with a handsome fee attached for grading. If the cards come back, usually months later, with a 10 attached, it's worth significantly more. That is very true. <laughs> I love I love the, this whole, whole paragraph right here. Um... Many cards are sent to these companies with a handsome fee, which is true, not with TGA. If the cards come back, usually months later, not with TGA. So it's, love that, love that. Okay, um, let me scroll down, some pictures. After the card is scrutinized with the magnifying glass, the ruler comes out. The centering, of course, needs to be checked. That was a far cry from what I remember years ago. Also shocking to me were the prices. If you wanted to purchase an unopened box of Panini One Football, it would run you close to $600. What do you get from a Panini One box? You get one card. I saw Grant Williams cards selling for more than Larry Bird cards. A Trevor Lawrence card had a $1,500 price tag. That's $500 per career win if you're counting from that's funny. <laughs> that's that's kind of funny. So if Trevor Lawrence wins two games next year, is his value going to be twenty five hundred? Right. Um, people opened cards and didn't even look at them. They blew past them and went directly for the shiny pink card in the middle to see how limited it was. It didn't even matter who the player was. If it was one of ten cards made of that particular insert, it was a hit. Sports cards are a big business now. There was a heck of a lot of interest in the car show, but it appears the business side has taken over the hobby part. And that is the end of the article. Now, I do want to kind of dissect uh, a bunch here, saying that uh, Grant Williams cards are selling more than Larry Bird cards. Um, again, you could look at any sport, any player, or any you know rookie. I'm going to assume it's a Grant Williams rookie card um, compared to like maybe a Larry Bird insert. Uh, again, I wasn't there. I, I didn't see what he saw. I'm just kind of, you know, reaching for some apples here. But there are cards of rookies, underperforming rookies or rookies that haven't done anything yet. Or maybe even someone like Grant Williams, a rookie uh, who's been in the league a couple years, who has played fairly well and has grown and developed over the past few years that he's been in the league. And, of course, his cards are going to sell more than Larry Bird cards. Are they going to sell more for Larry Bird rookie cards? Well, it depends on the condition of both cards. Depends on what set the Grant Williams card is from. Obviously, Larry Bird rookie card was just tops. So it's just a. Uh, it just depends. Year, uh, product, condition, possible grade. So there's so many different variables and components that go into Grant Williams cards selling for more than Larry Bird cards. But that is true. Grant Williams cards do sell more for La than Larry Bird cards. Um, a Trevor Lawrence card with a $1,500 price tag, what kind of card is it? Is it an RPA? Is it an autograph? Is it like a four-color patch? You know, is it number to 10? Like, you know, there's so many different variables. And again, from this guy's perspective, who hasn't been to a card show in 20 years, um, is obviously not going to know these certain things. And, you know, he's learning on the fly. But there's a lot of different components. Again, so many different components that go into gauging a card's price tag, uh, price tag right? Uh, Condition, 
centering? Is it an auto? Is it a prism? Is it, you know, a three-color RPA? Is it game-worn? Is it player-worn? Is it out of 10? Is it out of 25? There's so many different things that go into it. Supply and demand is another big one as well. So, again, $1,500 for a Trevor Lawrence card. If that's a base prism rookie, then hell no. But if that's like a flawless, like if that's a flawless out of 10 or something like that, I think 1500 might be a little too low, um, regardless how many career wins he has. And then people opened cards and didn't even look at them. I, a ton of people do that now, and that's just kind of what the hobby's turned into. People just don't care about the base. They're just going for the chaser. They're just going for that you know, cracked pink ice. They're going for that orange-blue laser or, or whatever the hell the card is. And people, unfortunately, do do that. Again, you need to enjoy collecting in order to have some success with sports cards as a business. And a lot of people do kind of understand that. A lot of people do enjoy collecting at its core foundation. Again, there's some people that don't. And everyone, every collector is different. Everyone's into the hobby for a different reason. But again, it's going to de depend on why you're in the hobby and how much you want to invest in the hobby. If you just want to invest $10, you're going to get either $10 cards or you're going to get one $10 card from the case, maybe a fat pack. But if someone throws in like, you know, $5,000, you're going to be able to do a lot with it. You'll be able to invest big into it. And you'll probably, depending on what you invest in, we'll see a return on the other side. Again, you have to enjoy collecting at its core foundation in sports cards in order to make a business out of it. And I true, truly, firmly believe that. But, all right. There's our sports card discussion for today's episodes. Again, I'm going to make a YouTube video about this article, and I'll, it'll be much more condensed. It'll be much more straightforward to the point, and you'll be able to see these pictures that I was looking at as well. I don't know when that video will come out because my YouTube calendar is pretty tight right now at the moment. But nonetheless, I will get it out there for you guys, so just stay tuned to the channel for that. But I do want to switch over. I want to pivot to basketball here. See what I did? And this article came out an hour ago from Matt Audelet. Audelet? I don't know how to say his last name. I'm sorry. Uh, from The Spun, which is by Sports, in, Sports in Illustrated. Wow, that was a tough one. Why couldn't I say that? The Spun by Sports Illustrated. I don't know. Anyways, titled, Brian Winhurst has telling update on Kevin Durant's trade market. Again, this is from an hour ago, guys. So this is fresh news. Kevin Durant set the NBA world on fire when he requested a trade away from the Brooklyn Nets earlier this offseason. It's now been over a week since the superstar forward <clears throat> asked to switch teams, but it seems little progress has been made on possible trade negotiations. According to ESPN NBA insider Brian Winhurst, it could be a while before anything gets done. Quote, we have a pretty gigantic gulf between what the Nets think the value of Kevin Durant is and what the market is willing to pay, he said on Friday's episode of Get Up. Quote, Kevin Durant is obviously a very valuable player. Nobody doubts that this guy is still in his prime years as an MVP-level candidate who can completely swing a team from a pretender to a contender with his presence. I don't know if he's still in his prime years, but I mean, he's probably past his prime, but boy, is he still right at, right there, though. He's still like right there on that cusp of top five. Um, arguably, if he's not a top five player. Or, I mean, okay, let's let's see. Top five players, no order. Go. Um, Curry, LeBron, Giannis. T I want to put Tatum in there, but that game did not look good. Um, okay, I guess Kevin Durant. 
Luka, Tatum, I guess that's six. Um, you know, those guys, I guess. I guess KD could put him in there too. So, okay, whatever. Never mind. I guess I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm probably can't think of somebody right now. You put in Joel Embiid, sure. Nikola Jokic, sure. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe he is top five. However, the market does not want to pay a super premium price for him because if you trade away all of the top assets on your team to get him, he becomes less valuable to you. That gulf is why we're in a stalemate right now and could have one for a while. End quote. Um, I'll scroll down. The Nets' asking price for Durant is through the roof. According to recent reports, the Brooklyn organization offered KD to the Minnesota Timberwolves in exchange for Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and four draft picks. The Timberwolves declined. No shit they're going to decline. Like, you can't be asking for everything on this god green earth. Like, okay, first of all, the Timberwolves just traded away, what, four first-round picks for Rudy Gobert? Four or five first-round picks? So what first-round picks do they have, first of all, to trade? Carl Anthony Towns, former number one overall pick. Anthony Edwards, former number one overall pick. And four draft picks? Like, they brought in Rudy Gobert to build around Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. To build around them. They're not going to bring in Rudy Gobert to completely smash the reset button, now losing 8-9 draft picks and their two best players for a 33, 34-year-old Kevin Durant? What is Kevin Durant and Rudy Gobert going to do? What are they going to do? Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But Rudy Gobert with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns with D'Angelo Russell and Jada McDan. Now that's a nucleus to build around. The Timberwolves made the playoffs last year. Yeah, they didn't go far, but they made the playoffs. They're on to something. They're building something. They're investing in what they currently have. And again, they're already mortgaging the future a little bit and bringing in Gobert, trading four or five first-round picks. And you expect them to trade another four draft picks? And Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, who is arguably the best player on that team with the highest ceiling? Come on, Brooklyn. Like... I understand you want to get all the value possibly can from Kevin Durant. I totally understand that. But you have to be realistic. You absolutely have to be realistic. Kevin Durant, is he 33 or 34? I think he's 33. Kevin Durant. I just want to double check. Dude's 33 years old. Entering his age 34 season, he'll be 34 in September. He's going to be 34 next year, 35, 36, and his last year of his contract will be 37 years old, making $50 million. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And what's there to say that when Durant gets to Minnesota or wherever, he's not going to want to request another trade because he doesn't like Rudy Gobert or he doesn't like you know the coach or whatever, the fans in Minnesota. 
I mean, look, he signed with Brooklyn. He re-upped with Brooklyn. They were patient with him when he was recovering from his torn Achilles. They brought in Kyrie Irving, his buddy. And he played, what, 94 games or whatever for them? Missed a ton of time. And now he wants out. Other teams are going to see that and say, hell no. We like what we have. Like, if you could get Kevin Durant for one draft pick, for one first-round pick, you do it. But not your former number one overall pick, not your other former number one overall pick, and not four draft picks that you don't even have because you already sent a bunch out for Rudy Gobert. No. Like, this is why I don't want Kevin Durant on the Celtics. It's because their asking price is stupid. Like, let's put this in retrospect for the Celtics. If the Nets were offered the Celtics what they offered the Timberwolves, it would, again, be four first-round picks. Well, it just says four draft picks. I'm going to assume it's first-round picks, but the article says draft picks. Whatever. Let's just go first-round picks. makes the conversation a little bit more fun. No one cares about second-round picks anyways. It would be Robert Williams and Jason Tatum, right? A big man, Carl Anthony Towns, Robert Williams, completely separate big men, but still, your best big man, Carl Anthony Towns, best big man, Robert Williams. And Anthony Edwards, their best perimeter player. Jason Tatum, the best perimeter player. Even if you take out Jason Tatum and put uh, Jalen Brown, who has been relatively linked to Brooklyn for Kevin Durant, I'm all set. I'm all set. The four draft picks alone turns me off. Robert Williams turns me off. Jalen Brown turns me off. Trading Jason Tatum, that all turns me off. Again, if you can get Kevin Durant for one first-round draft pick, sign me up. But you're not going to. Even Jason Tatum for Kevin Durant, no thank you. I do not want to pay a 37-year-old player $50 million. And again, after one year, what if he doesn't like Jason Tatum? He's going to request a trade? What if Jason Tatum doesn't like Kevin Durant? Is Tatum going to request a trade? No thank you. Celtics need to stay far away from Kevin Durant. Far, far away. The asking price from the Nets is too high. The salary that Kevin Durant is making is way too high. It makes zero effing sense. If the Nets went up to the the, the Timberwolves and was like Anthony Edwards, two first-round picks? You can have a conversation. That's at least a respectable offer. Obviously, you want to try to win the trade. You want to get what you think is is fair value in return for Kevin Durant. Maybe Anthony Edwards turns into a Kevin Durant-like player. Get two first-round picks as well. Obviously, if I'm still the the Timberwolves, I'm still declining that trade. But at least it's not Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and four first-round draft picks. Like, come on. Oh, my God. that That is just an absurd asking price. And again, they're probably going to other teams and offering something similar. Like, let's look at the, the Grizzlies, for instance. What do they want? John Morant, Desmond Bain, and four first-round picks? Like, come on. Oh, my goodness. I, that stirred me up. Stirred me up. All right. Let's skate on over to some Bruins chatter, right? See what I did there? I, I don't know how if it's smooth or not, but here we go. Bruins stand pat at NHL drafts. So the first round of the NHL draft was last night, and the Bruins did not have a pick in the first round because they did trade that first round pick away to the Anaheim Ducks in the Hampus Lindholm trade earlier this spring. 
but the Bees possess six picks in rounds two through seven. Those picks are a second round pick, Calgary Flames third round pick, fourth round pick, a sixth round pick, their seventh round pick, and the Ottawa Senators' seventh round pick. So they do have some flexibility here. They do have some maneuverability, but it's fairly limited. It is fairly, fairly limited because you're not going to trade a first. They have a first round pick in 2023 and in 2024, but you would only use something like that to trade into the first round or trade higher into the first round and the first round's over. You have you don't have a second round pick in 23 or 24, but you do have in 2023 and 2024, 3rd, 4th, 5th and 6th round picks and then a 2023 7th round pick. So they do have assets over the next couple of years, but don't mortgage the future for these for the picks of this year when you already have picks this year. If you want to take a 7th rounder and a 6th rounder and try to move up to their early 5th round, whatever, fine, cool. But don't take those 3rd or 4th round picks, those 5th and 6th round picks, and mortgage the future because the future for the Bruins are very, very unknown. But let me get, before I kind of dive deep into the numbers here, let me do look at this article from the Boston Herald written by Steve Conroy on July 7th, which was yesterday. Uh, he published it at 11-12, obviously when the first round was over. While there were rumblings that the Bruins were exploring moving up into the first round of the NHL draft on Thursday, GM Don Sweeney decided to hang on to any assets that might have been in play and stand pat. Sweeney and his band of scouts will get to work on Friday morning when they have six picks, the 54th, the 91st, the 119th, the 183rd, 200th, and 215th pick in the NHL draft. The Bees gave up their first-round pick to the Anaheim Ducks in the trade that brought Hampus Lindholm to Boston. With that pick, the I don't really care. Um, I don't care what the Ducks got. There was a surprise at the top of the draft. Don't care. Just get to the Bruins. Uh, meanwhile, on... Oh, my God. I just, just put an ad. I just completely lost where... Okay, so it just goes into what other NHL teams did. Da, 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 da. The second round of the draft will kick off at 11 a.m. on Friday. Oh, so the draft's already going on right now. Uh, let's see. Uh, NHL draft. Let's see if there's uh, anything going on. Do we have any news? Uh, can we get like ESPN this or something? NHL, home. Can I get like a draft tracker? Draft track? Draft tracker. This is uh, not what I'm looking for. NHL draft. Okay. All right. I'm not getting it. Okay. What if I scroll down? Will I get something if I scroll all the way down? Ah, second round. Here we go. Oh, so the Bruins are coming up soon. The Bruins are coming up soon. They, oh, I'm trying to see. Did they make a move to move up? They did not make a move to move up. So we're at 51 right now, and they will be on the clock fairly shortly. All right, so let me get back to this article here, um, what I was saying. The Bruins right now are in a weird spot, a very, very weird spot. The projected cap is uh, – hold on, let me, let me just Google it so I get the exact number. NHL cap. What is the NHL? How much cap space? There we go. $82.5 million. Okay, I just want to get a precise number. 
$82.5 million. Right now, the Bruins, their cap hit is $80.1 million. That's a lot. $80.1 million. That is a lot. They have 2.3 in cap space. 2.4, whatever. In cap space. Not ideal. <laughs> it is not ideal. It is not ideal. You need to go, you know, draft these players. You got to sign them. You have to possibly make some other moves and trades to bring in players. You possibly have to go out and sign free agents like Patrice Bergeron, who has is open to the idea of returning, but nothing is official yet. Nothing is official yet. So what can the Bruins do? They have some trade pieces that may be attractive to other teams, like Craig Smith, Jake DeBrusque. I, I don't know. Do people want Nick Foligno? I, I don't know. He has a, mod, a modified no-trade clause. Uh, there's Half the league is on the no-trade list, and the other half is. So what can you do? What moves can you make? You need to free up money to bring in other players. Now, Jake DeBrusque, he's still 25 years old. He looked really good when he got bumped up to that first line with Bergeron and Marchand. But making $4 million this year, $4 million next year, is he really worth $4 million per year? My opinion, I don't think so because he kind of, you know, he kind of vanished a little bit in, in the playoffs, you know, the one round that the Bruins were in. And you could utilize that money to fill out other holes or marginal holes on your roster as well. Anton Blood is, is an unrestricted free agent. Curtis Lazar is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, your only defensive free agent is uh, Joshua Brown. But let's see, what else, what other moves could you make? Could you trade Derek Forbort? Again, he's got a modified no trade clause. This is a weird one. In 21 and 22, he had 10 teams on the no trade list. 22 to 23, he has eight teams on the no trade list. And 23 to 24, he has three teams on the no trade list. Very interesting. So 24 teams, can he can be traded to. Do you trade Matt Grizzly? Do you trade Mike Riley? Like, are these players and pieces that you see on your roster long term? You have... Hampus Lindholm, I'll, yeah, Hampus Lindholm making $6.5 million for the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. Holy crap, he is on this roster for a very long time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. Holy smokes. You have Charlie McAvoy taking up 9.5 again for seven years, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. Holy smokes, that's a long ass contract. And those two together are making up roughly 19% of your cap. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say you got to move those guys, but by signing those guys to what they're worth and what you want to pay them is going to cause holes elsewhere. Like David Pasternak, he's making $6.6 million uh, this year, and he's unrestricted free agent next year. That's 8% of the cap. Marchand. He's 7.4%. Taylor Hall is 7.3%. Charlie Coyle is 6.4% of the cap. So you have these players taking up large chunks of your cap. So you have to make money work in other fashions. Does that mean you trade a Jake DeBrus who's taken up almost 5% of your cap? Does that mean you have to trade a Nick Foligno who's taken up, you know, 4.6% of your cap. You may not get the best return for him, but maybe you can find someone that will take the whole contract, even if it's like a 6th or 7th round pick. 
it will alleviate you to help you maneuver bringing back Patrice Bergeron or filling out other wing, uh, other forward holes that you have on your team. Maybe you can move a Mike Riley or a Derek Forbort who's making 3.6% of your cap and bring in just one guy there. Maybe you have someone in the pipeline that you want to bring up to the big club from Providence. It is going to be very, very intriguing to see what the Boston Bruins do with their six picks here in the first round, uh, first round in the 2022 NHL draft, but what they do with how they fill out their roster, even after the draft. But if there's any maneuvering of some players during the draft, maybe you do make one of those trades to get another third round pick or fourth round pick or whatever it may be. But the Bruins need to alleviate some cap space. Again, their cap hit is. million dollars they have 2.4 million in cap space the salary cap in the nhl for the 2022-2023 season is 82.5 million dollars they have a ton of issues they need to figure out they got a ton of issues to figure out and i do believe that they can do it but it's not going to be easy it's going to be a challenge they're going to have to make money work and maneuver. I mean, look at uh, Linus Olmark, who I think a lot of people did like. Obviously, him and Swayman have a good relationship, but he's making $5 million. Is a player like him worth $5 million? Uh, he got two starts in the, the playoffs, and he sucked in both of them, and Jeremy Swayman stepped in and played very well. I mean, if they're truly going to split time, 41 apiece, maybe. But long-term, it's Swayman. And I'd rather see someone like Swayman make that kind of money than Linus Olmark. Now, yes, you do need to have a backup goalie, but I'd rather have someone with a little more experience, veteran experience, like a a 30-something-year-old goalie who's been in the playoffs and who's been in the trenches, made deep runs before, who can help tutor Jeremy Swayman for when, it, when the, hopefully, the Bruins get back to the playoffs and he can kind of guide him. A, player, uh, a goalie that can be a spot starter whether it's in the playoffs, or who can start 30, 35 games during the regular season. Someone on that line, not Linus Olmark, who's never had playoff experience before this year and wasn't really that much of a veteran because he was still fairly young himself. I mean, he's 28 now, but he played with Buffalo, a team that wasn't competitive. And again, I'm not trying to bag Linus Olmark. He was a very good goalie this past year. I'm very happy that we brought him in for last year. But uh, $5 million next this year, $5 million next year, and $5 million the year after that, again, 6.1% of the cap, not ideal. Especially when you have Jeremy Swayman, who is the long-term answer in net. So, again, the Bruins do have a ton of moves to make, not only with the draft, but with their current roster and how they're going to structure their roster for the 2022-23 NHL season. But that's everything. That, let's see. Can we, uh, before we... Rabo, can we uh, update this tracker here? Oh, they brought me all the way to the top. Oh my God! They, they, I last checked. You guys last checked. It was pick fifty, and we're already at pick seventy. In what ten minutes? We flew through twenty first, uh, twenty picks. Boston Bruins select Matthew Poitras, center out of Gulef, out of OHL. I I don't know who he is, but let's just do a quick search. Matthew uh, Poitras. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Do we have like a little little something on him? 
I'm, I'm going to assume that ESPN tracker is probably very behind. All right. Do we have any information? Like, can, can I get like a a article about him? A in-depth? I don't care about stats or anything. Can we get like a scouting report? Here's an NHL draft prospect profile. Uh, let's see. He's five foot 11, 172 pounds. He shoots with the right side. He is a center. Excellent. Need that. Um, here we go. The Ontario Hockey League's Gulf Storm. I don't know how to say that. Drafted Matthew. Po- oh, that's no. I don't want that. I want the Bruins drafting him. Not. Oh my goodness. This is. This is on May 11th. Um. Let's see. NBC. Here's what you need to know. Here we go. Twitter. Tried and true. Twitter, NBC Sports Boston. What you need to know about Bruins' second-round pick, Matthew Poitras. The Bruins have made their first pick of the 2022 NHL draft, and they targeted a huge position of need. Boston selected Gulf Storm center Matthew Poitras with the number 54 overall pick in the second round. Uh, 54th pick in the draft, second round. Uh, Poitras is listed at 5'11", 175 pounds. He tallied 50 points, 21 goals, and 29 assists. In 68 games for golf last season, his first campaign in the OHL. He is a quality playmaker and plays the game with tremendous pace. Poitras' skill set is well suited for today's up-tempo NHL. The 18-year-old forward was ranked number 45th among North American skates by the NHL's Central Scouting. He was ranked in the 70s on most pre-draft lists among players. Interesting. The Bruins badly need an infusion of depth and talent at center throughout their organization. Boston entered the draft without any top-tier center prospects, which isn't good given the age of captain Patrice Bergeron. Poitras won't make an impact at the NHL level next season. He will likely going back to the Storm for another year in the OHL. That's not ideal. I'd rather him just kind of go to Providence. But, um, hey, all right, we got a center. That's exactly what the Bruins needed. They did need a center um, oh, here's a tweet. More on Poitras. Sitting next to a scout based in Ontario who filled me in. High skills, hockey IQ, slick wheels, needs to get stronger. Wall wall play is a big area he can improve by being more engaged physically. However, he brings needed offense and creativity to the system. I like it. I like it. I could see him being a uh, a second-line center. Now, obviously, you know, by the time he comes up, Bergeron may or may not be here. I doubt it because... If he does come back, which he's already said he's open to coming back for one more season, then Bergeron will be gone. So we're going to need someone to be that number one. Is that Oscar Skeen? Could that be Poitras if he improves? But the eight, but he ranked 70 in the 70s on most pre-draft lists. Now, again, I don't know what this list looks like. I don't know who was on it, what positions were on it, uh, or ahead of him, I should say. But this is, uh, if he's like the, the top center left on the board, then obviously you have to take him because you do need a center. And I'm glad that the Bruins got out with a center with that top pick of their own here in the 2022 NHL draft. Definitely someone that you're going to have to stash and develop. Again, he's only 18 years old. He has tons of time to develop. And hopefully in the Bruins system, playing for the Gulf Storm of the OHL, he can develop, get stronger, get bigger, and be more physical because apparently he's got great skills. He's got creativity and great offense. He just needs to be more physically engaging. I like the pick. Obviously, second round, what can we expect? Not a first-round pick. 
But that will wrap it up for today's episode, guys. I really do appreciate you joining me for episode number 150 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Thank you so much for clicking on this video. Please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're listening to this episode on audio-only platforms, Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon, and Stitcher, anywhere you can find your podcasts, that is where you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk. You can reach me on social media at Murph's Card Town on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook as well. Again, I will make a separate YouTube video about the sports card hobby becoming more of a business in its own separate video within the next week or two. But again, thank you guys so much for joining me for today's episode. Had a fantastic week, and I cannot wait to catch you next week for episode number 151. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you, and I will always, always see you.